The second reading is from Ephesians chapter 5, reading verses 1 to 21. That's on page 1227 in the Pew Bibles. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be any, even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thank you for reading God's word to us. Friends, we have a great privilege, a privilege that we cannot take for granted, to publicly open the scriptures, to have it read and have it proclaimed. So let's uh, come to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for your most precious word. The word that you've inspired. The word that you've given to us, Lord, in your special revelation. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege you give us to read it, to have it proclaimed. I pray for myself as I bring your word to your precious people here, that you will forgive me my sins. I pray that your Holy Spirit will take control of what we say and do in this place and bring to mind the things that we study from your word and apply it into our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Sometime uh, last year, uh, we were invited to a a party. Uh, Rose and myself uh, were sitting around the table and uh, as the dinner was being served, a lady seated next to me got into a conversation with me. Of course, we introduced ourselves. We never met these people before. 
And uh, she got talking about, somehow the conversation uh, came to the church. And um, this lady said to me, well, my pastor is spirit-filled. I said, wow, that's great. Um, our church is spirit-filled. Good. Then she said to me, well, do you go to church? I said, yes. Uh, what church do you go to? I said, I go to the Presbyterian church. Yeah, okay. Uh, is it spirit-filled? Oh. And then, somehow she said to me, well, what do you do? I said, <laughs> I said I'm a pastor. Oh, why didn't you tell me, she said. Oh, I said, you didn't ask me. And then I knew what was coming next. I knew. So, are you spirit-filled? I said, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I said, the Presbyterian Church is spirit-filled. We are God's people. Uh, if If we have Christ in our hearts, then we have the Holy Spirit. Well, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? question this morning is, are you spirit-filled? I'm sure most of us have heard the phrase, spirit-filled. And the moment you think about this word, spirit-filled, you think about all kinds of things. I'm sure right now in your mind you're thinking of those people who get zapped, right? Uh, people who fall back and you have people holding you. Um, people who kind of lose control of themselves, perhaps. Uh, people are talking in tongues, not an issue there, if God has given you that gift. Uh, or, for example, demanding, for example, that God does and must answer my prayer because I'm spirit-filled. He's obliged to do that. If he does not do that, well, I'm not spirit-filled. It's almost a demanding from God. So we've got all these kind of ideas, right? Uh, some of them may be wrong. Some are right. For example, you might think there's not spirit-filled, I would not be raising my hands when I sing. Now, that has nothing to do with being spirit-filled or not. You are free to raise your hands and worship God. I understand that at uh, the youth camp, PYB camp, uh, the speaker there has said we need to be expressive in our worship to God. Now, I'm not saying me jumping up and down here, but if you feel that that's how God's leading you, you can raise your hands in the Presbyterian Church, certainly in this place, Okay. Um, we won't be not tying down your hands. But the point is, that's not an indication whether I'm spirit-filled or not. It has nothing to do with that. You might want to express that worship that way. So are you spirit-filled? Is this congregation spirit-filled? The Spirit-filled Church of Australia. Well, last week, friends, we looked, we're going to look at this topic. So um, we'll look at this uh, passage this morning. Not, not this one, but... Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and 18. Well, last week we looked at Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The context I said there and I say it now again. The Apostle Paul says, walk in love, chapter 5, 1 and 2. In, in chapter 5, verse 8, walk as children of the light. In chapter 5, 15, he says, walk as uh, not as unwise, but as wise. And Paul has been contrasting between love and um, hatred. He's been contrasting between light and darkness. 
is being contrasting between unwise living and wise living. And now he makes the contrast between being drunk with wine versus being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the text here this morning. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We have two commands here, friends, in this passage. One is a negative, the other is a positive. Do not get drunk with wine, that's a negative aspect. Be filled with the Spirit, the second command, which is positive. Do not get drunk with wine. Well, friends, we are all very much aware of the consequences of the abuse of alcohol in our society, aren't we? Uh, just last night, I heard on the news that some young person, uh, the influence of alcohol, had driven his car and crashed it and uh, has died on the scene. Very tragic. Alcohol abuse and drunkenness sadly results in the deaths of many in our society. In an article that was written by uh, Rachel uh, Brown in the Sydney Morning Herald, says this, Australians are among the highest consumers of pure alcohol in the world. 83% of the population are drinkers, and about one in five drink at high risk levels at least once a month. article is titled, Drinking Their Way to Death. One only has to watch the news, and in many instances, people have had horrific accidents due to drunk driving. Now, in our text this morning, Paul is not talking about drinking or not drinking alcohol. That's not the issue here. The problem that Paul is addressing, the issue that Paul is addressing is, is not whether you should have a, a wine, a red wine or a white wine, a Chardonnay or a Riesling or whatever, or a shot of vodka or a gin and tonic. I don't know. It's not about that. Paul does not call here for abstinence. Now, Christians, I know, hold different views on alcohol and many have debated whether to drink or not to drink. There might be those views Right here this morning. Many Christians enjoy a glass of wine or a beer. I know Christians who own wineries. I had a congregation member in one of our previous congregations uh, in the, who owned a, a massive winery in the Barossa Valley. Right? Uh, a wonderful Christian man, a wonderful Christian family, a young family. But he had a business there. He earned his living from there. And he gave generously for the work of the gospel. Now, there are those who say that Jesus' miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana in Galilee blessed the drinking of wine in moderation. There are others who maintain that if a Christian drinks, then he or she may cause a weaker brother to stumble. And that is, of course, a deep concern. It will be a very big concern for myself. Uh, I am sure for any one of us here. The Apostle Paul says, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to stumble, to fall. If my drinking of alcohol will cause my brother or my sister to stumble and fall and get drunk, then that is a no-no. We need to be sensitive to that. But the Apostle Paul is very clear in demanding that we do not abuse the use of alcohol, that we do not get drunk. I'm not, this is not a major issue for us as a church uh, congregation here, I trust. But I remember uh, back home in Sri Lanka, I had a guy come into our house uh, frequently. He would be there at 8 o'clock in the morning, wanting money. 
And the moment he was at my gate, I get the smell of alcohol. And me being myself, I never had the heart to say no. I still struggle with saying no to people when they come for money. Even in this church here, I have other people who do that job. Because when they speak to me, I just, I just give. And this man, I kept giving and giving until one point I just said, my, this, no, I didn't use that word, might there, because they won't understand that in Sri Lanka. I said, in Sinhalese, I said, this will not go on. I am not going to give you any more. I will give you food. People get drunk and, uh, and we have major problems, right, with, with alcohol. And, um, you know, when, when one abuses the use of alcohol and get drunk, you lose control of your mind. And you can end up with a hangover the next day, right? It might be a terrible hangover for the person. I don't know. I've not experienced it. Uh, but I'm sure people who experienced it would know that it is a, a challenge, right? So drunkenness, drunkenness dehumanizes people. Drunkenness numbs the judgment centers of the brain. Drunkenness causes people to do crazy things while drunk that they may regret once they are sober. I don't know how many of you watched, uh, the nation stops, doesn't it, for the racers in Melbourne, right? Did you watch that clip on that night? I actually googled it yesterday, but I didn't want to put it because it's kind of embarrassing for the person, but did you watch the, uh, the, the clip that night of this, this woman, well-dressed? She was drunk. And her behavior was crazy. That was crazy. And it was shown on the news. And, yeah, security guards are running up and down. And the next day, I think, when she came to her senses and uh, realized it, she was very embarrassed with the whole thing. Right? A very sad thing that happens when people are drunk. They may, they may regret it when they are sober. So when Paul wrote these words to Ephesians, he was aware of the pagan culture at the time. Let me say this. This is the context. In that pagan culture, drunkenness was associated with idol worship. At the time, the people sought religious fulfillment and spiritual highs through drunkenness and sexual immorality. So the more they got drunk, they got into sexual immorality, and they gave them a spiritual high. Right? So that was the context here that Paul is writing this. This is the context in which Paul addresses the issue of drunkenness. What are you saying to the Ephesian Christians is that now that they are Christians, they don't need to get drunk to have a religious, spiritual, high experience. You don't need that anymore. You don't need that kind of thing to give you this spiritual boost. But rather, what Paul is saying is to the Ephesian church is that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, drunkenness is pagan worship. In pagan worship, it will cause you to lose control. Be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery or dissipation. That is excessive indulgence that leads to sensual or sexual immorality, where you lose control. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will give you a rational and sober mind that finds fulfillment and satisfaction in God. That is, when you are a Christian, my dear friends, you don't need to have a drug boost. You don't need to inject yourself. You don't need to get drunk to feel high. Do you know what I mean? 
Uh, one uh, author has uh, titled uh, the message, uh, I was almost tempted to put it as a, uh, as a heading, Spiritual Intoxication. <laughs> I like the way intoxication because it's the wrong connotation, perhaps in a negative sense. But you see what I mean is that we don't need a, a, a drunkenness or a polysane or whatever it is to abuse yourself to feel high because your satisfaction and mine comes from God who gives us the Holy Spirit so that we are spiritually set alight for God. That's what he does. That is what Paul is saying. He's saying here, you've been brought out from darkness unto light. God has done a tremendous work of grace in your life. Yes? You believe that? Yes. We have not saved ourselves. We cannot. It is grace alone, Christ alone, through faith alone. These are the fundamental essentials of the gospel that we have here. That we are saved by the grace of God. That he has called us out of darkness. He has brought us into the light of salvation by his grace. And the Bible tells us this in Ephesians chapter 1. That the Spirit of God has done a great work in all of this. In that the Spirit of God has now sealed us until the day of redemption. That's what Christ has done. So he has brought you. He has set you free. He has given you a new life. He has given you a new birth. He has brought this about through the working of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The question comes to us this morning is this. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, there are books written on this topic. Right? Um, I have read a lot about this this past week. Right? But before I proceed to answer this question, I want to address the errors that we need to avoid very quickly about our understanding of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Have we forgotten the Holy Spirit in, the, in, in our church have you forgotten the Holy Spirit in your life? Have I? Have we forgotten the Holy Spirit? See, let's address that issue this morning. See, who is the Holy Spirit? Some cults, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, say that the Holy Spirit is nothing more than a force. This is false. If the Holy Spirit were merely a force, then he could not speak. Acts chapter 13. He could not be grieved, Ephesians chapter 4. He would not have a will. He can't do it. A force can't speak. Can a force speak? No, it can't. Can a force be grieved? No, it can't. Can a force ever will? No, it can't. It can't communicate. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but is a person. He is God in co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal with the Father and the Son. He possesses all the attributes of deity. He regenerates the sinner. He baptizes us into the universal body of Christ. He indwells in all who have been converted. He seals us, keeping us until the day of redemption. Now there's a number of synonyms that is used for the word spirit. Words such as helper, advocate, convictor. The Holy Spirit is also portrayed by symbols such as dove, fire, wind. So the Holy Spirit is not an it, but is a distinct personality. He is a him. I put it that way. Right? Um, the, the four Gospels are accounts of Jesus' ministry that was empowered through the Spirit. At the age of 30, Jesus was baptized by John, and the Holy Spirit came down upon him 
like a dove. Right? Coming upon him and anointed him for his ministry. In the Gospel of Luke, for example, we see this. That it is through the Holy Spirit that Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. He was taught and matured by the Spirit. Filled by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Sent to preach by the power of the Spirit. And all of this was leading, my dear friends, towards the cross. Where Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And how did this happen? Very interesting text in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ... Through the eternal spirit, see that? Offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Jesus said this, and I will ask the Father and he will send you another counselor to be your, be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. He is no longer near us, but he is in you. We are the temple of God. The Spirit of God lives in you. And I want to clarify that this morning, because that might be a blanket statement. Let me clarify it very clearly this morning. You see, when I say the Spirit of God lives in you, by that I'm assuming, I'm assuming that you are a believer. Right? I'm assuming that you are a Christian. I'm assuming that you have committed your life to Jesus Christ. And you can say this morning that Christ is my Lord and my Savior. That I've repented of my sin and I believe in Jesus Christ the Lord. That is who a Christian is. Coming to church will not make you a Christian. You know that, right? Um, standing up and reading the Bible here, no offense to any Bible readers, or even a minister, even a minister standing up on this pulpit and preaching will not make me a Christian, right? The only thing that makes us a believer is our faith. It's a gift from God. The Holy Spirit taking us, converting us, and making us right with Jesus. So my first question to you is, do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you a Christian here this morning? Not about a Presbyterian church, not about uh, Anglican, whatever church. Are you a Christian? That's the first thing. Because I think when we get to heaven, God's not going to say, Oh, welcome to my heaven because you belong to the Baptist church. Or because you belong to St. Stephen's. No. Welcome to my heaven because of what my son has done for you. And I have sealed you with my spirit until the day of redemption. That the Holy Spirit is in us, not near us, and with us. What a great comfort that is. What a tremendous comfort that this counselor is with us every step of the way. In your journey in life, as a Christian, when, the, when times are really tough, when you're going through that dark patch in your life, or perhaps you're going through a great time in your life, the Holy Spirit is with you and in us, and He will never leave us. What a wonderful blessing is that. Think about it. We can grieve Him. I'm coming to that, Margaret. <laughs> 
He is no longer near us, but in us. Right? The Holy Spirit is active. He, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative, John chapter 16. And all of these promises were fulfilled when the Holy Spirit came upon us, poured out on believers by Jesus Christ at Pentecost. Never doubt that the Spirit of God is always on the move. As with the wind, we cannot see him. Nevertheless, he is hard at work, comforting, convicting, guiding, instructing, and causing people to be born again. These are just some of his activities. Further, friends, the Holy Spirit is not a substitute for God. He is God. He is deity. We see this in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. I won't read the whole passage here. You know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They lied. They lied. They lied to God. Look at the passage there. Very clearly the passage here is saying this, isn't it? man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of prop- property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of, the, part of the money. Verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied? To whom? To the Holy Spirit. How is it? And then at the end in that passage, you have not lied to men, but to God. So your lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. We need to see that. So friends, summary statement about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. He is fully God. He is eternal, omniscient, all-knowing, all-present. He has a will. He is alive. He is a person. He is not particularly visible in the Bible because his ministry is to be a witness of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit continues to expand the ministry of Jesus through the lives of believers. Well, let me come back to the question I posed earlier. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm sure you're waiting for that. Does it mean, friends, that we are supposed to speak in tongues? And if you don't, then you don't have the Spirit. Does it mean that? If I don't speak in tongues, then I do not have the spirit. I am not a spirit-filled person. Uh, In one of our congregations, we had some uh, Indian friends um, live down the road from our place. And uh, lovely brother and sister in Christ. I love those people. Really love Christ. Always came to the man's, came to our home, came to church and said, I am going to be praying for you that you will be speaking in tongues, Pastor, because you are not spirit-filled. Man, what do I say to that? (laughs) So every time they are church on Sundays and after church, now the sister will come up to me, Pastor, you are not filled with the Spirit because no tongues at church. So I'm praying, praying, praying. I said, keep praying. That's really good. I need lots of prayers. (laughs) Um, Good for them. And I praise God. I'm not saying anything bad about them. So a Christian is not a second grade believer if he or she does not speak in tongues. If God has given you that gift, then use it wisely and purposefully. It may happen that one speaks in tongues, but this does not mean that if others don't speak in tongues, that they are not spirit-filled. Well, does it mean that the Holy Spirit comes in installments? So you get this idea, fill in, right? It's like filling a cup, isn't it? Just in our minds we kind of think, Okay, so this cup is now quarter filled, it's half, it's three quarters, and now it's full, and now it's kind of 
overflowing and there's no more space to this thing to be filled up anymore. You can't fill an overflowing cup. Does it mean that? Does it mean that the Holy Spirit comes in installments? So I become a Christian, only a quarter of the Spirit comes to me. And then, depending on my works, another, another quarter comes. So I, I, I can't say that. I don't think that's the case. It definitely is not the case. Not I don't think. It is not the case. The Holy Spirit does not come in installments in a Christian's life. He indwells us fully and comprehensively. If you are a Christian, then God's Spirit takes residence in your heart and mind. That is a mystery, isn't it? Can you explain it? It's hard. Right? But God's Spirit takes residence in our hearts. Next one. Does it mean that it is an experience that only, that is to be spirit-filled, that it is an experience that only some Christians have and others don't? No. There are no two categories of Christians. Like our friends, we had a conversation with at that dinner party. I am spirit-filled. Our pastor is spirit-filled. Chris Sirivira from the Presbyterian Church in Surrey Hills. Perhaps you're not spirit-filled. We don't have two categories of people. Uh, Christians in that regard. Right? Here in Ephesians 5.18, we have a specific command to be filled with the Spirit. This is not a suggestion. It is a command from Paul. It is a positive command. And the language of filling is significant in this letter in Ephesians. Ephesians 1.23, the fullness of him who fills everything. Ephesians 3.19, filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Ephesians 4.10, Jesus' ascension fills the entire world. Ephesians 4.13, maturity attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ. And here in Ephesians 5.18, it's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you are a believer, that is, you trust Jesus as your Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit, can you? You can't. It is the Holy Spirit who awakens our conscience. It is the Holy Spirit who awakens our hearts. It's like this, friends, that we are spiritually dead. And it's the Holy Spirit that regenerates us, makes us to be born again, so that salvation is a gift from him, and God receives all the glory and the praise. And I can't stay here and say, oh, it is because of me and my good works that God has opened my heart. No, he has opened it. It is his grace. Jesus accomplished the redemption and forgiveness for those who believe in him through his life, death, and resurrection. The Holy Spirit applies that redemption and forgiveness to us when we receive Christ into our lives. Every Christian, not namesake Christian, every person who has repented of his or her sin has the Holy Spirit. Every Christian from the moment he or she believes possesses the Holy Spirit. Now the question is this, friends. What does it continue to mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Apostle Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. He uses the present imperative word here, which could be translated, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this implies that this should be repeatedly taking place in the lives of Christians. Therefore, this filling with the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event, but an event that can take place over and over again in a believer's life. I'm going to explain that in a moment. Uh, Professor Wayne Grudem, uh, he's written a fantastic book, Systematic Theology Professor, commenting on being filled with the Spirit, says this, 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the immediate presence of God himself. And it therefore will result in feeling what God feels, desiring what God desires, doing what God wants, speaking by God's power, praying and ministering in God's strength and knowledge which God himself gives. Do you see that? The immediate presence of God. Right in further he goes on to say that this may be a momentary empowering for a specific ministry. So God may do that sometimes. We see that in the book of Acts. It can be a fresh awareness of who God is and his power in our lives. And I'll explain how this comes about as well. It is what the Holy Spirit does. We can't manufacture this. To be spirit-filled Christians means that you have gifts, both natural and supernatural, that God has given you to be used to build his church, to spread the gospel. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. But friends, we grieve the Holy Spirit, don't we? Ephesians 4.30. I want to ask you, are you living a life, you are a Christian, but you feel that you've run out of spiritual puff? I feel spiritually tired. You feel, you feel spiritually gone. Have you run out of spiritual puff? Is it possible that the church has run out of spiritual puff because we have forgotten the Holy Spirit? You have forgotten the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. I, I was preparing this sermon. I have all my notes here. It's right here. This thing means nothing. It's good. We need to prepare. Every minister who gets on this place or whoever preach should do his utmost best. But I tell you, this is nothing. It can be thrown in the bin if it is not empowered by the Spirit of God to be used by the power of God. You see, we need to be praying that we will be spirit-filled Christians. And what, what does it mean? To be spirit-filled is living our lives under the control of the Spirit of God. When is the last time you said, Oh, Spirit of the living God, Holy Spirit, take control of my life. Have you done that? Are you living a defeatist life? Running out of spiritual path? The zeal, the fervor, everything is gone because your spiritual is so exhausted that you're trying to do everything by your strength. And God says, my spirit I have given to you. My spirit indwells you. Oh boy, I am in you. The spirit of power, the spirit of wisdom, the God Almighty who indwells us and is a powerful God. You know that. Are you living a life without spiritual puff? You see, John MacArthur, great writer, Dr. John MacArthur, he says this. Oh, it's there, okay. We are talking about living, living your life under the control of the Spirit of God. He is there, and if you don't live that way, you grieve him on the one hand, and you quench him on the other hand. Thessalonians. It involves the surrender of your will, your intellect, your body, your time, your talent, your treasure, everything to his control. It's the death of self. When you empty yourself of yourself, he will fill it up. He'll fill it up. 
Being filled with the Spirit is to let God's Word dominate our lives. You see, if you, again, MacArthur, if you want to know what it is to be Spirit-filled, then feed yourself the Word of God. Because when the Word goes in the Spirit, has the truth with which to give you the direction and guidance. You see, this is what is happening. It will empower you. This is the Word that God has given to us. And the Spirit takes this Word and He saturates our hearts and our minds and he gives us direction and guidance in our life. That is to be spirit-filled. You don't have to sit in a corner here and say, Oh, I need to be spirit-filled. Because this is a command that God has given to us in his word. You see what I mean? It's a command to be spirit-filled. Not to sit in some corner and wait for this, this ecstatic experience that's going to come after you sat for about 55 hours. No, 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 no. It's here already. So are you spirit-filled? My question to you this morning is, you see, are you empowered? Are you letting the Holy Spirit live through your life? Are you? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to live in this church, through the ministries of this church here at St. Stephen's, praying for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in this place? Praying that the Holy Spirit will cause a dynamic movement in this place? Are you praying for that? What's going to bring revival in Australia? You? Myself? Yes, God will use us. But it is the Holy Spirit who must do that. We need to be praying in the Spirit, friends. Paul is saying that in Ephesians chapter 6. And I feel sometimes, because we've got this wrong connotation, we go to an extreme situation, because we know our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, we love them in Christ, they might go to extreme. So we, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. And we've forgotten. Are you? Don't. Because you're missing out. You're missing out on seeing God doing great and wonderful things. This is not some positive thinking theology that I'm saying here. Right? This is not some motivational speaker speaking from up here. God will do it in your life. Through his spirit. Right? Yes? Amen to that? That's right. That's what he does. He will empower us. When we live spirit-filled lives, we would have a renewed desire to worship Christ and to serve him. And this is what we see in verses 19 to 21, don't we? You'll be singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You'll be singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. He will give you a melody in your heart. Now, I can't sing very well. I try to sing, you know that. But I sing. I put on yesterday Chris Tomlin's CD. No one was at home. Uh, indescribable. No one was in the house. I was in the kitchen. I put the music on. Ah, sing away. Yeah, God gives me a song to sing. Indescribable. What a wonderful God he is. See, this is, there's a further thing that takes place. When you're spirit filled, it will affect your relationships. You're married. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands and wives, it will affect your life as a Christian in the workplace. It will affect your relationships, how we relate to one another in our lives, spirit-filled relationships. It will affect the church, how we submit to one another. It's all in the context here of a spirit-filled life. It will affect our relationships in the home between a parent and child in the workplace. The spirit-filled life will lead us to thankfulness to God. Look at what Paul says here, right? I'm going to close with a couple of sentences here. 
always giving thanks to God, verse 21, to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When is the last time you sat down and thanked God for something? Think about it. In Jesus Christ. So friends, be spirit filled. Let us not, let us make, I want to give you this challenge. Let us, as a church, as individuals, make a deliberate effort daily. I plead with you, please, daily to recognize the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you see me, ask me, Chris, how is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you grieving the Holy Spirit or are you spirit filled? We should continue to live daily in a relationship of communication and communion with the Spirit through our knowledge of God's Word. Let us rely on the Holy Spirit's role in our lives as counselor, helper, teacher, guide, sanctifier, and giver of assurance concerning our sonship, standing before God. Friends, we need to pray for His power to be displayed in our lives. Yes? We need to pray that. We need to pray that His power will be displayed in this church and wherever the gospel is preached. Three questions. Are you an effective Christian living under the power of the Holy Spirit? Only you can answer that. Are you living a spirit-filled life? Do you know, third question, do you know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? You know, there's a wonderful text in, and close with this, in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. It's a, it's a beautiful text. Um, this is Zechariah. The gold lampstands, the two olive trees. What? It says this. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Oh, friends, do not let the Holy Spirit be dormant in, our, in your life. Don't, 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 don't. Pray today. You pray with me that the Holy Spirit will be so powerful in your life. I think by the time you come to the end of 2013, you'll be able to see that the Holy Spirit has made a difference in your life. You might be able to stand up here one day and testify and say, yes, the Holy Spirit has done a great work through me. And I praise God. Is the spirit dormant in your life? Think about that. You want to be on spiritual fire? Yes or no? You want to be on spiritual fire for Jesus? Then pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.